Welcome to Unsung Heroes with Johnny, Daniel, James, and Sam. Our goal is to leave no hero unsung. Welcome back, everybody, to the Unsung Heroes podcast. My name is Johnny. And I'm James. I'm Daniel. And I am Samuel. And uh, yeah, so this week we have another episode for you guys of An Unsung Hero. Last week we talked a little bit about Mad Jack Churchill, and we we sang a song about him, so he's no longer unsung. Hey, 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 Which I gotta say, catchy. that song, oh yeah. Yeah, that was that was a good song, guys. It's a lot well, of fun. Well played. Let's not pat ourselves on the back too much. <laughs> well, I was, patting, I, was, I was patting Johnny and James in the back because they're the ones who heavily worked on that. I was so. patting myself on the back. I don't yeah. know. Okay, well, James, thanks. get out of here. <laughs> As usual, there you go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this week, however, we have uh, Captain Robert Abram Bartlett, and we have Daniel Yilmaz to present him to us. Uh, Daniel, why don't you give us a little teaser about this guy? Well, so I found this guy after, um, well, hold on, let me, let me just give you a good context here. About two years ago, while I was in college, one random night, as, you know, as one does, I was just going through different Wikipedia articles, different YouTube videos. <laughs> as one does. As know. one does. <laughs> My s- daily escapade through Wikipedia <laughs> brought me to... <laughs> I somehow came across the whole Arctic exploration period, like the na- late 1800s, early 1900s. And I was astounded that there were, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who went to the Arctic in ships and sailed into icy waters and literally into ice as well in order to race to the North Pole and to discover the different natives of the land. So as I was Nati- thinking about... Natives of the North Pole? Yeah, no, well, not the oh, North you know Pole, who that but is. Like okay. the Arctic and Siberia and Alaska. <laughs> like all the polar bears? <laughs> yes, the, the, yes, that's it. So I thought, you know what? I want to talk to you guys about someone from this period. And I fairly quickly came across... Robert the Bob Bartlett. We're not going to oh, call him the, the Bob. Bob. Was that, We're not going to. Is that your that, nickname for him? That is my nickname after okay. him. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you go through a couple weeks researching a person and you feel like you're really close to them. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's just. Yeah, Good. Me but, and Bobby just. You're on nickname terms here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting that you chose this guy. So, well, first of all, let me say I have no idea who this guy is or really anything that he did besides what you've already said. Um, and you know, it's kind of weird that th- this week I, ha- have you guys ever just like gone on Google maps and like, just kind of looked around a random, like zoomed in really close to a random spot on the world just to like, oh, see yeah. what it looks like. Oh yeah. Thanks, really, thanks to GeoGuessr. Uh, yes. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so like GeoGuessr is one of those games where you can do that, but I, but I wasn't even using that. I was just looking at Google maps and I started looking at like, Canada and northern Canada, <laughs> just like going into the uh, like farther and farther north, just like scrolling up. First of all, let me just say, uh, there are a crap ton of lakes in Canada. Like you guys have no idea how many lakes there are. <laughs> you thought you knew? No, you're wrong. There's <laughs> more. <laughs> it's so interesting. If you if you go like if you zoom out to where you can see all of Canada, and you look kind of in the northern region, like in uh, Nanavut, I think it's called. Um, it's one of the provinces. It, if you zoom out, it, it looks like there's a lot of lakes, right? If you keep zooming in, more appear as you zoom <laughs> in. You like click the plus button, right? And it like 
more pop up as you go in. And it's just like until the whole screen is just little (laughs) lakes everywhere. It's insane. So I kept going, I kept going like farther north, just like scrolling. Um, I found this little, like, I don't even know what it is, like a station, some kind of military station or something up in way like northern Canada called... It's the not-as-well-known Area 50 from Canada. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no it's, it's called Alert. Um, alert. Alert. Yeah, like spelled like the word alert. Um, yeah. And it's huh. um, like I zoomed in and went on satellite view and it's just like almost only one building. And it's like... <laughs> Yeah, covered in snow. The Canadian like, government would like to know your location. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but it just, I mean, it fascinated me, this whole landscape. It's just like n- wilderness and f- like frozen landscape. It just, wow. I don't know. It was just so interesting. Um, I mean, and think, I, there's like not even any highways or anything there. Yeah. You think about yeah. places like northern Siberia too, where I, I heard about this a while ago, where there is a a village where it's almost constantly in the below zero. um, Mm, Like year round? Year round. And people live up there. And I'm like, what are you doing to yourself? (laughs) You know you can move away, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wonder how many of them can actually move. That's true. Yeah, maybe their lives don't exactly allow for that. But it's just interesting, yeah. mm -hmm. And it fits in, I guess, with the the pioneers of this kind of exploration up to these regions. And there's also that, that one island... Uh, in northern side above Russia, where they did a lot of the nuclear testing too, because mm. there was just nobody yeah. around. Which, yeah, it's really interesting. I'd love to visit places like that. Yeah, mm. so, well. but yeah, I, I don't know. It really, uh, I guess, it got me prepared for this episode for uh, you know Captain Captain the Bob, <laughs> Captain the Bob Bartlett, Captain the Bob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, Daniel, why don't you uh, share a little more with us about him? All right. Well, without further ado, let's begin. So Robert Abram Bartlett was born in Bugis, Newfoundland in 1875, and he was born into a family of a lot of sailors, and so he inherited that from his family. Like his father was a great captain who set a bunch of records with bringing in a bunch of sorts of fish, and his grandfather was a legendary sailor who was a one-armed man, so he only has one arm, and he sailed hundreds of miles on an open boat up the coast of Newfoundland, and he was like seen as the pioneer who first did that. He's probably looking for his other arm. I I think... (laughs) Yeah, okay, yeah. Until he got hit by a water buffalo. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Not that again. (laughs) I think... Hold on. I'm going to look it up because I think Newfoundland is pronounced differently. Yeah, so... Oh, well, yes, correct me, please. The new is the... Uh, is the uh, emphasis. So it's Newfoundland. 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 I mean, it's spelled exactly like Newfoundland, but I think it's pronounced Newfoundland. Oh, well, well, thank you so much, Johnny, for that. Well, all right. Disregard what I said before, guys. (laughs) I think that I said Newfoundland. All right. So he he also has many uncles and other relatives who, like, I just, I cannot list of all the, I cannot list all the names and all the things they did, but these people constantly saved people who were stuck on ice and in the arctic so he he clearly comes from a family who knew how to how to how to boat you know just how to boat <laughs> and so by and he's he's the first of 10 kids so he was kind of seen as having to really take on the family tradition of seafaring no. so by the age of 17 he masters his first ship and he begins a lifelong love affair with the arctic 
So this guy, and I'll I'll just say go ahead and say it now, but he is kind of like Mad Jack Churchill in that he loved what he did and kind of how Churchill says he wished the war would go on or whatever because he loved being there. So it's kind Bartlett, of interesting. You know, yeah, I, it's interesting just because like I feel like it's uh, like at that time, a lot of people were born into certain jobs. Like they just carried on the family yeah. tradition. And I've always wondered like how much they really loved doing what their family was doing. But it seems like this guy like really settled into his family business really well. Well, he had enough yeah. siblings to form his own crew. So I guess that would <laughs> work out. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he exactly did that. But no, it was just interesting because he, he loved being out there so much. He said that it was okay putting up with rotten meat with frozen fingers, with the harsh weather. But the hard part was when you got back. So mm. it was just, it's mm. just interesting to me to see this guy. But yeah, he, so he was born around the time of all of the Arctic exploration where, you know, he, he himself spent more than 50 years mapping this area and exploring the waters of the far north, which was called Meta Incognita, which stands for Unknown Shore, by the early explorers. Oh. And he himself led over 40 expeditions and... That is more than anyone before or since, apparently. Wow! So, so he was so, involved. Wow! Yeah. Quite the quite the hero, so I guess. Daniel, yeah. do you yeah. know how much of the North Pole was mapped at that time? Into what detail? I'm not exactly sure, but I believe that it wasn't 100% mapped because in 1909 he captained the SS Roosevelt, which and he accompanied the U.S. Navy commander Robert Peary, which maybe some of you have heard of, of some of the audience. He is one of the more known Arctic explorers mm -hmm. on his attempts to reach the North Pole. So no one had done it yet. Around this time in 1909, Peary is set to have been the first person to reach the North Pole, although later retroactively they've looked back and said he actually never reached the North Pole. He was within several miles of it but who knows oh okay um, several yeah, miles close yeah. enough yeah. yeah i mean yeah i mean it <laughs> might have been it might have been 10 40 but i feel like that's pretty close enough especially yeah, for what you have at that just point like, yeah you just have to give it to him i feel like yeah, it's yeah. part of the anti-santa conspiracy yeah. i always wondered like how do you i guess I, you would need some kind of like electromagnetic device to tell that you're actually on the north pole what you mean a compass like <laughs> okay well i, th well, I feel like thinking. when you're i feel like when you're that close to north pole a compass doesn't really work anymore <laughs> well i'm thinking like you know how true north varies uh in, in geography you study when you study cartography there's a thing called true north which actually changes like based on mm -hmm. where north is actually actually is versus where like the the electromagnetic the waves yeah the magnetic towards. pull of the yeah. compass actually uh, goes something like that so maybe there was something involved with that that okay. caused him to not really be there i don't mm -hmm. know Interesting. But yeah, and so at that time, he was awarded the Hubbard Medal of the National Geographic Society for breaking the trail through the Arctic Sea to within 150 miles of the pole. You mean and like Robert Bartlett or the other guy? Robert Bartlett. And so okay. after that point, Robert Peary and some of, some of the other crew went on, but Bartlett would excluded from the final exploring party. And this is said possibly due to a rivalry between them. Which, it just stinks to think that this guy was an incredible captain who helped the first party reach where they did, and he wasn't on the final stretch. You know, it kind of stinks, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't know all the details of it, but... And the Hubbard Medal, by the way, it doesn't mean anything to us, but this was a huge award at the time, and it was given to the likes of Roald Emmonson, who was the first to reach the South Pole. 
So this award is no joke for that circle of people. You know, this is wow. This is this is pretty high, mm. um, and even if there was some sort of rivalry between them, Peary did call Bartlett the most valuable of all his expedition members, which is pretty high praise coming from him. So seemed like a very wow. capable person. Yeah. It's like the yeah. MVP of Arctic exploring, I guess. Yeah, yeah, like he if at the end of the expedition he would have had the kill cam, if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a reference that some people might understand. Yeah. <laughs> really, really excluding a lot of our audience here. <laughs> but it's it's interesting because he, like I said, he was ex- involved in so many expeditions and he loved the Arctic and he actually wasn't crazy about society. He always found a way of disappearing. Society. <laughs> no, really. I mean, Society's <laughs> okay, dude. If, if you like spending time in the freezing north, you probably hate people. Exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he was involved in a lot of those, and really, it's said that he only was in like he would only come back in order to get money so that he could go back out to the Arctic. Wow. <laughs> so in his time that he spent in civilization. He was a total celebrity, but we'll get we'll get to that later. Oh wow. So the biggest perhaps the biggest point of his life comes with the Karlik expedition. In 1913, Wilhelmur Stevenson, a US-based Canadian Whoa. anthropologist, um, decides he wants to go back for yet another expedition to the Arctic, and he was one of the pioneers of this movement. So he approached the National Geographic Society in Washington, and they promised to back him with $45,000, which is roughly $650,000 now. <laughs> Man. So wow. quite, quite a So did he just like walk up to the society and be like, hey, can I uh, get some money Well, for this? I'm sure, Samuel, I'm sure there are protocols involved that these people were aware of, like you have to do... I mean, by this point, he probably had a reputation for that, right? Yeah, and you know, he... Uh, you know, he's not just a Joe Schmo who walks in and he's like, you'll give me money to go to the Arctic. <laughs> you know, he's well known. So, okay, gotcha. What, I wonder what kind of investment that actually is. Like, were they hoping to get money out of it at all? Or is it just like a publicity thing to sponsor? Yeah, I'm, like I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure which, like, which organization was involved in wanting to further national interest or who was involved in just wanting more money. Yeah. So, who knows? But so he actually wanted more. So he went to the Canadian government, and the Canadian government was worried that the, a U.S. financed expedition would give the U.S. a legal claim to any new land that he discovered, oh. since <laughs> that area was subject to claims of sovereignty by not just Canada, but also U.S. and Norway. Okay. So what's new? Countries fighting for, for land. land. It, it reminds yeah, me so. of the very complicated legal and political situation of Antarctica. I think there's a really interesting thing you can study about like what Antarctica actually belongs to and who it actually is um owns the territory it's a really interesting idea but that's a good question to raise Mm -hmm. so the canadian prime minister because of his worries canadian prime minister robert borden meets with stephenson in february 1913 and offers to assume the entire financial responsibility of the expedition so he pretty much poaches this guy from the u.s financial service and he says dude we'll pay for everything just just be under our wings Wow. And it works because if someone c- comes and tells me I'm going to finance your whole expedition, I don't care what country you are, you know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, so he starts to gather his crew and he chose Bartlett as the captain. And he bought along Carluck. He bought Carluck, which, is, which was a previously a, whale, a whaling vessel. 
Um, mm. And one of his crew, one of his people that he was going out with to look at ships said, oh, this is a great ship. Like, it'll do great. But Bartlett himself has hesitations. And he thought the ship was you know, no way fit for a long Arctic journey. Um, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> that was subtle. So I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so on, in, in the summer, on June 17th, 1913, the ship Karlik leaves Esquimalt, which is in Vancouver Island, towards northern Alaska. And they're hoping to go over past northern Alaska, east to the northern edges of Canada. So they reach Cape Smythe, which is a northern town out of Alaska, on August 6th. So about two months later, and they pick up two Inuit hunters, Karaluk and Kataktovik, together with Karaluk's family. And they sail eastward towards Hersher Island, which is where they're trying to go. And Stephenson's trying to collect you know, different plant life. He has a photographer with him who wants to take photos of, of the different areas. And at this time, Bartlett begins to worry about the amount of ice that they're going through. But they decide to keep going. However, they keep getting stuck in ice and keep yeah. being pushed back. So by September, so in about a, a month later, they... After having gone eastward, they start drifting all the way back westward because of the ice, which Mm. I I feel like before reading about this, I didn't ever consider that idea of getting stuck in ice and the water just moving you away. And I I feel like that's a horrible, scary thought. And I just can't believe these people would volunteer to do that. I can imagine it's really demoralizing to you just go that far and then get stuck. I mean, like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's like it's like you can't do anything about it. You think about how frustrated you get, like, driving in mud and just getting in that and getting stuck (laughs) in that. And nowadays, we we have those massive, you know, ships that go through the Arctic and they just plow through the ice, you know. Um, I imagine Mm -hmm. it wasn't quite like that, being a refitted whaling boat. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) So they decide to stop around September and just winter in the ice. And around this time... And so they're on the northern edge of Alaska. Mm-hmm. And Stephenson decides to leave the ship with a small hunting party because he says they're running out of fresh meat and they they need to resupply. And he was expected to be gone about 10 days and would return with food. But the ice in which Karlik, the ship, was trapped, began to move and pushed the ship westward and then even north, even towards north after that. Mm. So Stephenson and his party never returned. Ooh. Now... Some say that Stephenson knowingly left the ship to abandon the people to their faith. Uh, but I mean, some some people say that's not like, why would he ever do that? He was just going on a hunting trip. So I just wanted to add that in there for some drama. I <laughs> I, I personally don't Daniel's think he... Daniel's going to spill the tea. <laughs> <laughs> I personally don't think he would just leave these people there. I mean, he might have, he, he might not have thought they were going to die. He just thought, I mean, whatever, they'll go back they'll find a way i don't know who knows let's not interpret into that now but. so where so did he like where did he go exactly uh so he i i, I quite honestly didn't follow his trajectory but stephenson did he just like goes, go go back to civilization yeah he goes inland with the party and they're you know they find civilization and they're fine and they go yeah they go back so okay. yeah, he fine. didn't like get lost in the wilderness. oh yeah no he didn't get lost there <laughs> i mean the, the movie revenant starts from there <laughs> <laughs> and leonardo dicaprio wins best actor <laughs> no he so the area they're in right now is mapped and they know where they are so it's not right, right. Super oh gotcha. scary gotcha and this was this was stevenson that did this right yeah so stevenson and other crew but back on the ship bartlett and his crew 
have completely left the land and they're just floating on on icy waters. So there's on an iceberg, like floating away. Well, just icy waters, so not like a straight up iceberg. But okay, okay, you know. they're probably around icebergs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. sure. <laughs> so that you know, people start freaking out. I mean, I would. And I, I think one thing they look back to is about twenty or thirty years before there had been one famous incident of a U.S. vessel that got stuck on ice. And drifted on the Arctic for months and eventually sunk and almost everyone died. Oh, oh man. Until some people tried to go walk on land, I mean, on the ice and try to be saved, but eventually they died as well. So some wow. crews talking about leaving. And so this is a crazy thing to me. I think, how are you going to leave? But what I didn't realize is these guys are literally like in ice. So you can just jump off the ship and you can walk. you're technically out in the ocean like the arctic ocean but you can just there is ice that you can walk on so and that's why the ship can't move (laughs) oh it's like they can't sail oh wow yeah so they can't sail away from it so he orders to have some supplies and equipment transferred to the ice to lighten up the ship and as precaution as you know in case they need to leave the vessel and obviously to lighten it so that it will hopefully get away from the ice and they can sail away if the movies taught us anything is that that never works you know like, <laughs> yeah kind of like the hot air balloons just throw it off doesn't just really throw it away. but yeah. so they and they're you know they're trying to hunt around this time which again i just can't fathom you're stuck on ice you're just jumping on ice and you're trying to go hunt and they kill they hunt about two to three seals a day Whoa. and once they even hunted a polar bear that came near their ship oh, wow. which is just so insane. so what they're doing is right they're they're living on this vessel but to hunt they're going out onto the ice around the vessel to just go out yes. and hunt? Yes, so, um, again, I'm not exactly sure how big this ice is. I mean, it could be as far as the eye can see, there's just ice, and it's, or there are parts of it that are just moving, and it's just transporting them, and they can't really do much about it because their they're ship is just completely stuck. And you so, said, so you're at the mercy of the ice. You wow. said it was seal that they're eating and hunting? Yes, so they're hunting seal, and... So they get nearer to an island called Wrangell Island, which is way far away from where they should be. It's at this point, they're closer towards Siberia than they are to Alaska. So they're completely gone westward. When you're that lost that you end up in Russia. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he he tries to keep up morale. And this is around Christmas time. So he throws a Christmas party. They have decorations, presents. uh, He throws a banquet. And they even have ice sports. Presents? Like... What did they give each other ice or something? Like, no, I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> and they um, give each other I mean, seal. Uh, <laughs> here's the bear. here's the snoot of the polar bear. Man. <laughs> but the around so then around New Year's they see Wrangell Island, which Wrangell Island will become their their place of of habitation. I guess what's the word here? Their this, home. I don't know. Their their home. Yes, <laughs> let's say their home for a while. Their crib. <laughs> their their crib. Because on January 10th, 1914, the ship was, quote-unquote, attacked by ice. And I wanted to use that word because it seems like ice is... Yeah, ice is alive. Okay, all right. <laughs> what it's does very aggressive look the like? The ice is fighting back. <laughs> <laughs> I told you guys to be gentle with the ice. <laughs> but And so the crew starts to transport some of the supplies off and try to get on uh, near the on Wrangell Island as quickly as possible, which... The, so the idea here is they're not actually on the island. They're, I think it was, eight, they're actually 80 miles out from the island itself. So they're straight up just on ice right now. Oh. And on January 11th, Bartlett plays Chopin's 
Is it, is it Chopin? It's Chopin. Chopin. Chopin's funeral march as the ship sinks. Oh, man. Oh, no. Which is, yeah, so the ship is gone. They're out on ice, and they decided to construct two shelters. One is a snow igloo with a canvas roof, and one was constructed from the packing cases that they had, and <clears throat> they built a kitchen inside and everything. And man. They, apparently, it was actually a pretty comfortable spot to live in. Some of the diaries say, we could have lived here for a while, which... <laughs> I don't know why anyone okay, would say okay. that. But let's that? remember the, the authors of this, right? Yeah. Like, they're like, <laughs> we hate society. We live in our igloos. That's I feel true. like the, the authorial perspective here is quite different from the average Joe at this yeah, point. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> How do you think so, we would do out on the ice like that? I don't, you know, I, don't I, think I, would I, like, I like snow, but I don't think I could handle it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a very cold-natured person. Like I'm, I just get chilly here in Texas. I can't imagine, <laughs> like, being yeah. there. I don't feel like I'd have a good time with that. Yeah, yeah. no, it's... No, I... Mm, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, but this is where it gets interesting. So now they're lost. They're stuck on ice. And they send out parties to try to find the island. And they eventually, they go on an 80-mile hike all the way to reach Wrangell Island. And they do so. So they set up on Wrangell Island. Was Wrangell Island occupied at this time? I actually I do not know because I see that I see that's actually is definitely closer to Russia. I'm looking at a map here, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's I'm actually not sure of its state at the time. But they decide to set camp, and Bartlett, you know, starts thinking, and he is you know he's great at the stuff because he's spent years reading books and <laughs> being kind of like a speculative person. Guys, so he, guys, trust me, I've read books. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, what I'm trying to get at is he is good at what he does because not only is he a great captain and he's, you know, good at sailing ships, but he's also a very educated man. So Mm. he sets out a bunch of maps. He just starts thinking because he realizes we can't, like, we, we have to do something about this. We can't just wait here. So he starts chartering a rescue plan of what to do. And some of the people start helping him out and a person that helps him out that he might not have expected as much is Kataktovic, which is one of the Inuit hunters that joined him earlier. And this is a 19-year-old Inuit guy and he helps him and to you know map out what they could do and to talk about the different terrain. And Bartlett realizes he has to take Kataktovic with him because he clearly, not only does he know what's ahead, he's clearly ready to take on the challenge Hmm. and he actually wanted others to join him as well but some of the people he would like to go with him fell sick so he couldn't have them join him so our the bob is just stuck on this island (laughs) and he realizes i'm going to take katsuk a 19 year old hunter with me and us two are going to reach land on siberia which is about a hundred, hundred fifty miles away. Yeah. So they're going to be walking on ice between this island to Siberia, and then walk about five hundred miles on the eastern coast of Russia, all the way to East Cape, which is the easternmost point, and from there catch a ship off over to Alaska, get a rescue party, and send them back to get the rest of the crew on Wrangell oh. Island. Man. Do you know? Do you what know do you guys time? think? Yeah, that's that's insane. Do you, do you know what time of year this was? So at this point, it is around March. 
Okay. And so wow. they, so they, it's, it's pretty, it's probably cold at that time. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm cold sure it's cold, cold, cold year round. Times, yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause I think the North Pole's probably cold. cold. <laughs> no, I was, I was saying like, I didn't know, like you were saying you, they would walk across the ice. I didn't know if it might be different at different times of year, like how thick the ice was to walk on. Yeah. So again, as I'm telling these things, I, I don't, I can't hundred percent comprehend what all of this means when they're walking on ice. It's just, it's insane. So yeah. let me get this straight. They're about to walk 600 miles on like one of the most northern, the northernmost point in the world on ice, just the two of them. For like 150 miles. For yeah. how many miles? Yeah. So about, it's about 150 to Siberia and then another 500 or more to the Eastern Cape that they want to go to. So it's almost a 700 mile trip. Yeah. Dude, at, at 19, I couldn't even find my way home, much less <laughs> yeah, navigate through Siberia. At like, 19, what? I'm trying to figure out what do I want to study in college. Not, <laughs> yeah. just, I, I mean, the the courage you must have in order to go on a trip like this, which I'm, I mean, you know, the mindset of someone who's already willing to go out on an expedition is probably different. But at the same time, if you're st- stuck on an island, you're probably thinking. We got to do what we got to do. Yeah. yeah. They probably didn't have visas to Russia either. <laughs> <laughs> That's impossible to get. I think that was the least of their concerns, Johnny. Yeah. You know, with Russian visas, have, uh, particularly, they're 19, not easy. This is 1914, correct? <laughs> yes, 1914. So this would have been, you know, the onset of World War I. Um, so mm-hmm. I wonder if that would have played in anything or not, but that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure at that point the Russians haven't really settled on that part of Russia too much. I'm sure that wasn't a major <laughs> it's mostly battle. The native. It's mostly the natives. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so here's yet another challenge is right before they decide to leave, he, with the party that's staying behind, which is about 14 people, he decides, he tells them to set up several camps around the entire island to in order to increase the hunting areas, which... That is a viable you know, reasoning for doing that. Although he most likely also did this because he felt that separating the people into smaller groups would assist the general harmony of the camps by keeping the incompatible characters apart. Oh, wow. wow. So That's pretty smart. What a, what a good leader to that's, not that's only chart out podcast, a rescue plan. In our podcast, we record from different locations. Yeah. <laughs> to keep us away from yeah. each other. Me, <laughs> me and James get along, but the rest of you guys. Yeah, we're, <laughs> the rest of us are incompatible. <laughs> also increases our hunting areas. So That's true. There you go. I don't know. No, that was, <laughs> yeah. well, let's, let's edit that joke out. That wasn't good. <laughs> uh, I kind of liked it. I don't know. <laughs> so March 18th. With seven dogs and provisions for 48 days, 30 for the dogs, they start off. They start off looking for some different parties who were, they thought might be going around the place and like kind of go on ice, just look around to see if they can find anyone else. They look around. Obviously, there's no one there. So they start their adventure. They're going on very deep and soft snow. So it's extremely hard for the dogs, the, the sledges, and for the men themselves um, and, you know, the dogs keep running away and they keep having to chase after the dogs. They keep having to repair the sledge. Wow. They, so they they have, you said, what, 40 days worth of food? 45? Yeah, so they, they have 48 days of 48. provisions for themselves. And it, it said that they have 30 days worth of food for the dogs. Oh, man. So they have <laughs> just <laughs> over a month, <laughs> just over a month to make the 700 mile trip. Wow. Oh my gosh. Across, yeah, across that's, Siberia. How, how many, hmm. wait, how many is that a day? Okay, let's say it was 30 days, 700 miles. 
So yeah. when I did the math, it comes out to 20 miles a day. 20 miles? And wow. I will. I was going to make this point at the end, but a 20 miles a day, and I looked this up according to how much, how far a Roman soldier marched, because been into Roman history recently, but <laughs> 20 <laughs> miles a day, 20 miles a day is pretty much what a whole legion would march in a, like an average on a day. So this, Man. Yeah. these two people. snow. Yeah, and yeah. so way harsher conditions, no just good ways to go, barely any provisions, and they have to march 20 days, I mean 20 miles a day. So they go off and um, Katak, Katak Tovik hunts seals and bears. And <laughs> wow. Jeez. Bartlett, Maybe he's the unsung hero here. <laughs> no, he really is. And Bartlett says that they had, they literally had no time to stop and cook, so they had to eat raw bear and raw seal oh, meat. Gosh. Oh man! Ah, I oh. just, oh, I can't oh, imagine. Yeah. Ah, ah. I love how, like, of all of these things, that's the one that horrifies us the most. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> raw raw seal point. meat. Raw oh, seal. Oh, no, you, oh, that's gross. You, you lost me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it. Everything else was fine, but no. <laughs> <laughs> so they're. And they're going through blinding snowstorms, which I can only imagine how awful the snow is. So we're only thinking about the weather and the, the cold, but just imagine the storms and not being able to see anything. Mm. Yeah. So sometimes they only covered only about four miles a day. Oh man! Wow! Because so they, they can were, barely see anything. So, so some. So they were behind. Uh, they're like, way behind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So they had to. They had to monitor the dog's diet as well because they only have a certain amount of food. And, you know, what, once they keep going, some of the ice gives and they're, you know, the dogs fall in and they have to get them out. So pretty much they're deciding every hour of what to do next. Huh. It's, it's exhausting. I feel like not only is the trip exhausting, but having to stop every hour and think, what do we do next? That's wow. that's just crazy. This wow. sounds like it could either be a really epic thriller adventure movie you know, with Leonardo DiCaprio or some kind of like animal movie where it's from the dog's perspective, you know, it's oh, like a yeah. mix between Balto. Or, yeah. It's like Balto and the Revenant combined. Whoa, good idea there, guys. And so, I mean, within within about a week, Katsuk gets depressed and he keeps telling Bartlett, we see no land, we get, we know get to land. And both men feel pain everywhere you know, Bob mentions in his diary that he had constant eye pain that felt like sand is being thrown in his eyes. Oh, oh man. So it, hey, I have a question. What was, do you know if that eye pain was something getting stuck in there or something hitting his eye or was it actually due to like the glare of the snow, the sun off the snow? I, I think he actually had something like it might have been like a virus or something. I think he actually had something. I remember reading eye. a book about exploration in the Arctic at one point and the characters mentioned that they went out in the snow at one point and it was, the sun was really bright. And I don't hmm. know if you've been snowboarding before anyone here, but sometimes the snow reflects yeah. the sun so powerfully it really hurts your eyes. Yeah. And really bright, these, yeah. these explorers eventually the snow hurt their eyes so bad. They basically couldn't see for the next like three yeah. or four days and they had to just stay inside because the sun so damaged their eyes. Wow. That, that's something you don't think about when you're in like a cold environment, like, Oh, like, so I, I have been snowboarding and when I did, we would had to put, we had to put on sunscreen, like on our faces. Right, right. Because the sun reflecting off of the snow would burn your face. Like, I can't imagine in the Arctic, uh, you know, that that's what you think about. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to be blinded by the sun. Got to apply my sunscreen. <laughs> the, the cold isn't enough. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah. So 
In his diary, Bartlett wrote, Katik Tawak was with me and built our igloos and killed seal and bear. An Eskimo and a white man could live indefinitely on ice. So it's funny to me that they're going through all this harsh weather and walking, you know, several miles a day. And in one of his entries, he decides to write that you know, an Eskimo and a white man could live indefinitely on ice. Wow, like wow. They, so, it's sustainable. <laughs> I, yeah, it is. It's literally sustainable. I, and so I wonder how much of him actually enjoyed this. To be, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. I mean, it's kind of crazy to say. But. Katektovic is like, are we going the right way? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, um, actually, let's turn around. No, okay, that sounded horrible, but you know, just kind of. Being in his element, doing what he loves, in a sense. Imagine what this guy's vacations looked like. <laughs> he probably he probably didn't I, take a lot of vacations. I feel like he probably didn't. Yeah. This was his vacation, guys. Yeah, yeah this is it. <laughs> so finally, after three weeks, on April 5th, they see land. So they see Siberia. But what happens here is they see the dwellings of the Chukchi people, who are the natives of that part of Siberia. But Kataktovic was scared of them because he'd heard that the Siberian Chukchi dislike the Alaskan Inuit. So he believes that they would kill him upon seeing him. Oh, wow. So Bartlett has to comfort him, saying that it's going to be okay. And one way he comforted him was to take advantage of Kataktovic's smoking habit. So he, so he tells him he can get some tobacco from the natives. <laughs> so they actually stand out there on ice for a while before they set foot on Siberia because Kataktovic's just not sure if he wants to go but he <laughs> yeah, chooses to trust he tr- he chooses to trust Bartlett and so they go and the the Siberian natives turned out to be super nice so Bartlett wrote I put out my hand and walked toward them saying in English how do you do they immediately rushed towards us and grabbed grasped us each warmly by the hand and jabbering in great excitement wow but nothing neither, like a how do you do man that just yeah. opens doors <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's so nice man it's it's super nice Unfortunately, though, neither could speak the other's language, so they had a hard time communicating. However, they were able to trade, and the Chukchi were super nice in the way they traded, and they you know, they would trade a dog for a gun, so Bartlett gave him a gun and got the dog, and there was even an instance where they traded for a dog, and the dog that the Chukchi gave them ran back to his owner's home, and the guy found Bartlett and gave back the dog. Wow. wow. That's wow. just... Wow. It's just good people. You know? There's so that's many a loyal dog. heroes. That's a loyal dog and a loyal Chukchi. <laughs> <laughs> They're just trying to outloyal one another, you know. But and it's this is a it's just an interesting time to read about because you know there's a whole concept of you know I don't I don't want to like try to get too deep or anything like that here, but you know the the idea of explorers and quote unquote conquerors finding indigenous people and seeing the different way they trade them, and so Bartlett's time with Katsuktovic and then with these Siberian natives definitely make him realize these people are incredible human beings. Mm. We mm. can barely speak, but they let us into their homes and they take care of us. And yeah, it's just, wow. it's just, it's a beautiful time of humanity. You Some know? good hospitality. Yeah. Too. Yeah, definitely. So Katsuktovic actually is able to get more comfortable with them too. But, and he starts trading with them and even spends some time alone with them. Incredible. Mm-hmm. However, he does have his t- you know, his his guard on, and he's never fully okay being there. And he even tells Bartlett to not let his guard down too much. And Bartlett writes that he actually listens to Katoktovic, which you know 
I feel like it doesn't mean too much to us, but I'm sure for a, a white man to listen to an indigenous person is quite, quite incredible. At the time, <laughs> you mean? Yeah. Yeah, at the time. So they leave the Chuck Cheese on April 7th, which I feel like I would have just stayed there just forever. Stay and <laughs> party. Become Chuck Cheese. <laughs> Well, he's still, toward, he, he's still got to save the rest of his crew, right? They're still at the ship. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, they're just reached Siberia. So they still wow. need to go. Um, so a few days after they have been with the Chukchis, they they leave and they head towards East Cape, which is the easternmost point of Russia. Um, and on their trip there, it's even more ruthless. Bartlett, Bartlett says he actually never experienced such relentlessly cold weather and whereas before on Wrangell Island, temperatures would drop to around negative 50 Fahrenheit. I mean, negative 40 Fahrenheit, which mm. is already super, oh, super low. Oh, it's just negative 40. Yeah, it's <laughs> not negative 50. That's no, it's not. But in, on, on the Siberian land, it, temperatures drop below negative 50 Celsius or negative 58 Fahrenheit. Oh, my goodness. So imagine it's, being... But that's even... Just, wait, that's oh. like slightly farther south than where he was, yeah, right? It, yeah, so I, I, I don't go to Siberia, guys. <laughs> it must be like I, I know, like sometimes, um, like the ocean currents help with the, the temperature. Yeah. It might mm-hmm. have been something to do with being on land now mm-hmm. actually makes it harsher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of factors into it. Yeah, but that's that's sad. Yeah. So in the meantime, what is his crew doing? The crew that was waiting for him to come back or whatever. I mean, they're they're just hunting away. They're staying away from the incompatible people, and <laughs> they're just they're just holding on tight. They're you know? just doing they, life. They didn't they they're say that they life. like actually kind of liked it on that island. Well, that was yeah, that was when they made the, made the shipwreck, made that made the igloo place, and it wasn't. I, I don't think it was so much that they enjoyed it. It was more just them saying, you know what, this is actually doable. What? Yeah, watch. Well, she's gonna come back to like a that. commune or something. <laughs> <laughs> Leave us. We like being. We here. like it. <laughs> no, so they they eventually do um, reach Emma Town, which is just a few miles east of East Cape. So they had. By this point, guys, they had traveled 700 miles, most of it on foot. Mm. And I, it's incredible. I just cannot imagine yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's so much. And can you imagine, you, you got there 700 miles and it's still not over because you still need to get over to Alaska, send a message to the Canadian government or the U.S. government and try to send out a search party. So yeah. Just, so... There in Emma Town, they meet Baron Kleist, a distinguished Russian official, and he offers to take Bartlett to Emma Harbor, which is a week's journey away and uh, a little more southeast. And there he can, he said, you can wait for a ship to go over to Alaska. So on May 10th, Bartlett and Kataktovic exchange their goodbyes. Hmm. And on May 16th, Bartlett arrives on Emma Harbor. Five days later, he goes on a ship to Alaska. So then after six days, he arrives in St. Michael in Alaska. And finally there, he sends a radio message to Ottawa informing the government of what happened to their ship. Yay! Okay. Wow. <laughs> so, so Canada to the rescue. Canada. Canada. Well, so what happens is he actually asks the U.S. government to allow them to use a ship called Bear, which is a U.S. revenue cutter, which a revenue cutter was a ship that was employed to enforce customs in the areas so he asks and so he arrives and this ship the ship bear arrives on saint michael in mid-june 
And after Bartlett talks with the captain and says, please, I need to go there and save my, my crew. So the captain of that ship gets permission from the U.S. government. And so on July 13th, they leave for Wrangell Island. And so July, that's, wait, that's like three months later? Or yeah, so it's, so he left on March 16th. Right. Okay, so like so, four months later. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a while, guys. Wow. wow. So it, it even, even almost five months later. And wow. on 5th of August, he meets with Katak at Port Hope and gives him his wages. Um, he also, here's another side note drama here. He meets with someone who tells him that Stephenson has already moved on to other expeditions. No. But uh, the Stephenson. traitor. The drama. We won't, we won't get into that. <laughs> the unsung villain right there. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. So another ship arrives near Wrangell Island. And so this is not their ship. A whole other ship that Bartlett asked to go see if the crew's there. They go and they get the crew and all 14 people are alive. Wow. wow. And so they go ahead and turn around to go towards Alaska. And they, on their way towards Alaska, they meet the ship Bear. And Bartlett is overjoyed to see that his people are alive. And he tells the rescue to come on over. But they actually want to stay with the other ship, which I couldn't find an explanation for. But he orders them on. So they come on on. And he... And that's it. He takes them wow. back to Alaska, yeah. and they're all all the people who did not die at, at the sinking, which I think at, up to that point, about 11 were reported dead. Wow. Wow. All the people who were on Wrangell Island survive for about five months, Man. and wow. they are saved. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Did they? Yeah, I guess they just kept insane. hunting and stuff? Yeah, they just kept hunting, kept staying in their igloos. And <laughs> wow. I guess it, I mean, that's a whole other thing, I feel like. When I'm when I was researching about this, the those people aren't mentioned too much, as if you know their order is just to stay alive and that's easy enough. But I mean, <laughs> five months alive. on an island easy enough. I mean, it wouldn't be that easy no. for me. To, yeah, yeah my gosh, no. <laughs> but I guess Super hard. yeah, I guess that's just the type of person who would agree to go on a Arctic exploration. You know, I guess so. Did so did uh, did Captain Bartlett? If, so did he like get another? Like, did he start another exploration to the North Pole at all? No. So he comes back and he's hailed as a hero. Um, but he actually, although he's very popular among the press and the public, he was later censured by an admiralty, um, admiralty commission for taking this ship to the Arctic and for allowing uh, a party of four people to leave the main group early on, which had some main officers, like a medical officer, a biologist, although these people left on their own choice. So none of, and, and the ship that was bought it wasn't his decision. So it's it's like a classic sad story where he gets docked points for what he didn't do. And unfortunately, unlike in Harry Potter, his team doesn't get 100 points at the end for oh. saving the people. <laughs> doesn't arbitrarily say, ah, you, so you get like a five points for something. bravery. Yeah. <laughs> you went to you Siberia. Lose, you, That's lose an extra- yeah. you lose 10 points, but you gained 100. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, no, but yeah. So, and I, I think a really fun thing for me to look at was here was just his bonding with Katoktovic. I like yeah. that. Um, yeah. You know, at the end, he makes sure, even honestly, before going to their island, when they stop at the post, he makes sure to give Katoktovic his payment I like as that. soon as he could. Um, and after they leave each other, Bartlett wrote, 
We were parting here. I thanked him as I said goodbye for all that he had done and told him how greatly I was indebted to him for his constant help and for his faith and trust in me. Hmm. And I asked Mr. Carpendale, which was a trader, to tell the Chuckies, Chuck Chuchies, Chuckies, Chuck Cheese, Chuck Cheese. Thank you for yes, thank you. <laughs> to tell the Chuck Cheese what a good boy Katoktovic was. <laughs> I gave the rifle we had carried on our journey and some of the other things we had with us and shook his hands warmly and parted. And the sad note here is that they would never see each other again. Oh, wow. no. Man, um, he's um, like the Inuit Sakagawe, or how you pronounce Sakajuia. Sak- Sak- yeah. I know her name's hard to pronounce. Sakajuia. He's, he's like the that, that kind of character, you know? Yeah. It's almost an archetype, kind of helped, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did, I mean, what did Captain Bartlett do, I guess, the rest of the time? He didn't do any more explorations or after his, yeah, so he, after his like, r- like reprimand thing? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to mainly just focus on this expedition. Later on, he comes back. Um, he does have he does partake in many other expeditions. Three years later, in 1917, he actually rescues the members of a of another expedition, which was it's called the Crocker Land Expedition, which was for a land that wasn't even there. It was just reported by someone that there's land there and there was uh, nothing there. Oh no. But wow. it's said that these people were st- the crew of that expedition were stuck on ice for four years, what? and he goes and saves them. And Jeez. that, um, Dude. yeah, I just they all have like ice balls it. named Wilson at that point. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you do, man? In, in the summer, yeah. Wilson's melting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, later on, in you know, in the ni- from the nineteen twenty five to nineteen forty five. Um, he helps the U.S. government during World War II with mapping the Arctic, which I'm not sure what they would want to use that for. <laughs> I knew he was uh, a World War II unsung hero. Come on, Daniel. Uh, what are you <laughs> well, we said, I had to add that we said we there. were going to stay away from World War II. Come on. So <laughs> now begins the saga of World War II Bartlett. <laughs> no. The Bob in the World War II. The Bob. But yeah. so as you can see, he, he comes back and like I said before, he just loved to be in the Arctic. So what he does, even though he didn't like to be with people too much and didn't like to have too many appointments with people. He actually like became a a celebrity and he found different ways to make money through his popularity. (laughs) So he, he participated in a book called the stag cookbook, which is about all these recipes from a bunch of manly men who give their recipes. How to cook um, seal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he, it's a macho cookbook. Is that what? Step one, eat seal raw. <laughs> <laughs> step two, profit. <laughs> Later on, he partners with the Wheaties breakfast cereals and they put his figure on the boxes and they even have like a whole contest later on with him. He, in, he endorses Remington guns and he says, you know, wow. when you're in the Arctic as a man, you had to use Remington guns. Oh, okay, yeah. And so I feel like this, this guy's a, a resung hero, almost. Like, yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, yeah, he seems so pretty in well his known. Time, in, his in his time, time he yeah. was he was actually very well known. Yeah, but not I. You know, that's that's kind of the thing about this series. Like, I guess we'll start, you know, talking about people who nowadays, especially, aren't as well right. known. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Still deserve that recognition. I mean, he I, to, to save not only his own crew like that, but then to go and again save a different crew that had been out there four years. Yeah. And to go s- crazy. to go 700 miles to do that. <laughs> yeah, wa- in, yeah, yeah. I mean, some in, days it's hard to walk 700 n- steps. So That was negative <laughs> 58 degrees Fahrenheit, you said, right? Oh, right. That was, mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. That's a note from me. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Wow. Well, to finish it off, he... 
he dies at the age of 70 in New York City from pneumonia. Mm. Mm. Wow. He's buried in his... So it wasn't the negative 50 degrees that got him pneumonia, though. No. He actually survived. No. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. It sounds... I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's a pretty long life, though. I mean... Um, yeah, so good. it sounds like later on, you know, he's he actually struggles a lot with finances, so he tries to keep capitalizing on his image. He actually even stars in a movie in 1931 Whoa. called The Viking, which in which he's a he's a captain that's sealing a ship in New, Newfoundland. New, <laughs> Newfoundland. Newfoundland. <laughs> we'll get you there. But yeah, it's just it sounds like he, you know, slowly leaves the public eye towards the end of his life. And wow. Wow. Passes away, yeah. probably thinking about the Arctic. Yep. Man. Well, what a, I mean, what a guy, seriously, to just have that vision of the Arctic for pretty much his whole life. Like, mm-hmm. it's so interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, like, again, like, as I was looking at that map of Canada, and I'm sure same as Siberia, there's so much land where there's just so few people. It's just so interesting to me. Like, we get so wrapped up in like uh, you know we're in these big big cities like there's so much population here there is so much land out there that's got like nobody on it it's mm. just so interesting i know yeah yeah no roads didn't you say that you looked at the google street view up there so there was oh, yeah so there's one highway up like on the western side of canada um and so Google Street View goes up a certain distance and then it stops. Like the car didn't go farther than that. <laughs> but then there is like a town, I don't I forget the name of the town, way up on the northern side where there is a couple of places with Google Street View. And actually they have like Google Boat View too. Google Boat View? <laughs> like I, there was this random like highlighted part of the ocean with a little line on it that I could click on the Street View. So I was like, there's no road there. I click on it and... It's a view from a boat, like so I could wow. just go down on this boat, like looking at the looking at wow. the shore, you know. Huh. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. I love it. Yeah, that, that's how we really explore cool. the Arctic today. Little, yeah, from <laughs> dramatic from the comfort of our homes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, James and I will start to get to work on a on a song about Captain a- Robert Abram Bartlett. Oh yeah, the uh, Bob. Yeah, what an interesting the guy. Bob. Should be fun. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We will play that song right after this, so stay tuned for that. And also, uh, if you'd like to follow us on various social media, we have uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook group. Uh, We'd love for you guys to check that out. Those should be in our uh, little uh, bios or descriptions. Um, And so, yeah, uh, any any closing remarks, guys? Well, I'm glad that we have Google Boat View now yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to do what he did that's what i have to say so yeah. thank you so much daniel appreciated that man yeah, thank you daniel. yeah no thank you guys for thanks for being a part of this yeah all right well we'll see you guys next episode bye oh from canada's ports we sailed for the north The ice and the sea pushed us back and forth But Stephenson knew to depart We should have known that the trouble would start Westward we drifted, frozen in ice Taking on water the ship sacrificed Up in the frigid north our ship run aground Here on Wrangell Island we wait to be found Our captain we sent on a journey through snow 
Oh, Captain Bartlett, you're our only hope. His guide, he took by his side. They didn't know if they would survive. The Chakchi were gracious folk. All they needed was one quick smoke. Eastward, headed with dogs and sled. On to Alaska, they pushed ahead. Up in the frigid north, our ship run aground. Here on Wrangell Island, we wait to be found Our captain we sent on a journey through snow Oh, Captain Bartlett, you're our only hope Up in the bridge in North, our captain arrived Here on Wrangell Island, we all will survive Our captain we sent on a journey through snow Oh, Captain Bartlett, you're our own